You're about to hear some thoroughly Jewish insights on worship and music from the gifted worship leader, Paul Wilbur. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. It was March 30th, 1985, the first time that I had ministered in a Messianic Jewish congregation. Even though I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus, even though I've been involved in Jewish outreach for many, many years, this was the first time in a Messianic Jewish congregation with other Jewish believers identifying as Jews. And and a lot of it was new and different to me. And then the music started. There was a man named Paul Wilbur with a worship team called Israel's Hope. And the moment, I'm talking about the instant they began to minister, I felt the presence of God in the room, looked at my wife, Nancy, also a Jewish believer, both of us with tears in our eyes, realizing God was here in the midst of this congregation. I've been dear friends with Paul Wilbur now for many years. He is one of the most anointed worship leaders, songwriters that I know in the world. And he's ministered around the world, great heart for Israel, great heart for the church, ministered to uh, stadium-sized crowds in Latin America, Uh, just an amazing legacy and a great guy, dear friend. And when I wrote the Power of Music book, I said, I've got to get it to Paul Wilbur, get it in his hands and get some feedback from him and was really, really blessed by what he had to say. And I said, Paul, you got to join me on the air. So without further ado on this thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. Paul, welcome to the Line of Fire. Thanks, Mike. Great to join you. A joy to, to have you on the air. Paul, how, how many nations have you ministered in now? Uh, we just added uh, Gabon, West Africa, last week, so that's 86. 86 nations. Wow. And and what, what kind of things have you seen in Latin America? Mm. Well... <laughs> The um, the presence and power of God is what I'm interested in. Um, music, of course, has been the calling card, and I know that's what we're going to speak about for a few minutes today anyway. But, you know, with, without uh, over-exaggeration, the, um, the presence of God is what makes the difference. So... I tell people, you know, if if the presence of God ever stops attending what I'm doing, I'll just stay home and flip burgers or something and, and ask people, would you like fries with that? Mm. Because it was the presence of God that hooked me 42 years ago when I ran into it very unexpectedly in a church service, chasing a pretty blonde girl to church. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what I have been not only impacted by, but passionately pursuing um, to to deposit and share around the world. So with his presence, as you know, Mike, comes everything that he is, the power to heal, um, the conviction of souls to cry out, what must I do to be saved, including Paris. Just four days ago, mm. over 120 people responded in an altar call in Paris, 
France. Come on. Um, oh, it's it's amazing, Mike. What's what's going on? And I really believe we're in a new time where the kingdom of God is being revealed. So healing, blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, um, skin diseases disappearing, um, people leaving crutches and wheelchairs. Uh, you 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 know. I mean, it's it's just Jesus manifesting by the power of the Holy Spirit, and and He does whatever we need for life and godliness because He loves us. Yeah, and this is without hype, without trying to talk people into things, even without even talking about it, the presence of God coming in during worship. And it, interesting, what you discovered in Latin America is also a great heart for Israel and a sense of connection to the Jewish people. As you were stunned in some of the events there, they're bringing you by helicopter to places, the crowds, there are hours in advance. You had this massive Latin American following, and it was, it was the music, it was the anointing, but it was also Israel. How does that yeah. fit in? Well, the, um, because we've, we've had, I think, the wrong kind of terminology um, for, for so long. You know, I, we've, we've talked about church and Jesus establishing his church, but isn't it interesting that, that Jesus never spoke in those terms? He said, um, he spoke in terms of the kingdom. Uh, he preached the kingdom. The kingdom of God, which is Jew and Gentile. I've really come to believe, Mike, that um, you know the kingdom is here, but not in fullness. We we experience uh, the the new covenant that God has made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Jeremiah thirty one, Ezekiel thirty six, but not its fullness because there's more. There's there's more to come. Thank God. When, when no man will need to say to his neighbor, know the Lord, because they'll all know me from the greatest of least. That's part of that new covenant promise that he is establishing. And so the kingdom is both Israel and the church. Um, does that mean that unsaved Israel or Israel that doesn't recognize Jesus? I'm saying that Romans 11 tells us that the fullness of the church verse 25, or the fullness of the Gentiles, so that, verse 26, all Israel will be saved. There is a point in history when the bride will be prepared, spotless and without wrinkle, as he comes back for this kind of a bride for himself. And uh, Jerusalem is saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, where all Israel will be saved, where the church will be refined and purified to be a suitable wife for the king of all kings. And and I believe that's the season, no, not the season, the time. The, um, the Yes, this new time, Acts 3, verse 21, he must remain in heaven until the time to restore all things. We've spoken about this just a little bit, you and I, but I believe we have really entered into now the time uh, for all things to be restored, and it's heading towards that time of times when he cracks the sky at the sound of a shofar and a and the shout of the angel of the Lord, and uh, and those of us who are still alive are caught up together in the clouds. First Thessalonians chapter four. Uh, oh my goodness! I, things are so exciting here, Mike in Jacksonville. <laughs> um, I could I could go on for hours. We're seeing 
a, a reformation, a transformation, a restoration in a mega church here in Jacksonville that we've attended for five or six years, where Pastor, Pastor Stovall had an open vision of Yeshua, Jesus, while I was preaching on the, on the first night of Passover, and it has so radically transformed the church that the, the giving is up by 50%, and, and they don't pass buckets anymore. They have tzedakah boxes on the wall. The, the, the praise and worship is prophetic. It's not just three songs and a, and a cool video anymore. And the, the preaching is dynamic, and it's insightful, and it's revelatory. And for Christmas, are, are you sitting down? I'm sitting. For Christmas, the pastor did a, like, Shabbat for Dummies booklet that he gave out to the church and, and said, we're, we're going to start doing that missing Tenth Commandment to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy, because he sees that this was God's red line for the redeeming and the restoration of our homes, turning our moms and dads into priests in their own house, um, another step towards the fullness of the kingdom in our in our midst. I'm telling you, I just came from a staff meeting that's supposed to be 15 minutes with a song and a prayer and a and an encouraging word, and they turning they're turning out to be two hours of of worship and revelation and excitement and testimonies. The kingdom of God is at hand, and this is the best time in all of history to be alive. Well, I mean, you said about a dozen things there that I could jump <laughs> in on and, and, and run with, but you know, you know, it reminds me, Paul, and I mentioned this in passing on, on the broadcast yesterday, saying that you're going to be on with me today, but when we were part of the same leadership team with Dan Juster and Austrian trader Eitan Shishkoff, Back in Maryland yeah. years ago, before the guys went off to Israel and you went off to Chicago and things, but uh, and I went off to Pensacola. But when sometimes we we'd be at one of these meetings, and and you and I were never really like big on kind of leadership meetings where you sit there and take notes and you know talk about <laughs> administrative stuff. And and Dan yeah. would sometimes say, "Paul, why don't you play a song?" Just and wait, well, you know, that's good. That's the end of the meeting <laughs> because the moment you begin to play and we begin to worship. And we get caught up with the Lord and start to pray. And of course, Asher just loved to pray day and night. So that, that'd be the end of the meeting. But, you know, even as you're talking about the Lord coming back with a shout, but with also with the blast of the shofar, there's a musical instrument that accompanies the Lord's return. And, and obviously, you're, you're a teacher and preacher of the word. You go out and, and minister and have done that for many, many years. You have so much to contribute. You've written books opening up the word. But the special tool that God's given you to take this to the nations is, is music and, and anyone that's, that's heard any of your projects, the many with integrity that have been done in Jerusalem and, and other parts of the world know that, that your, your vocal quality is a little different than the average person that we hear singing. We've just got a minute before the break, but you've got some operatic training, don't you? Yeah, I did an undergraduate degree in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, my voice teacher happened to be the cantor at the temple where I attended downtown Cleveland, went from there to uh, Europe, studied privately with one of the leading operatic uh, voice teachers in Milan, Italy, which mm. is the seat of, uh, of operatic music, came back, did a master's degree in operatic music at Indiana University, 
So I did put in a few years. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Paul, what's your website? Uh, PaulWilbur.com. Paul Wilbur, and that's B-U-R, PaulWilbur.com. Hey, let me just tell you what Paul said about my new book, The Power of Music. Once again, Dr. Brown has outdone himself with the amount and scope of the research information and the impact, bringing this work to the obvious conclusion for all of us who have dedicated our lives to just this purpose, making him known and experienced through powerful and anointed music and vessels. Paul said, I was brought to tears with the experiences of G.F. Handel and the incredible victory of the Messiah, remembering that his music still plays to sold-out audiences in Israel. All right, more with Paul Wilbur. Oh, We'll take your Jewish-related and music-related calls, too. Stay tuned. Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. The voice of my guest, Messianic Jewish worship artist, Park Salons teacher of the word, Paul Wilbur, and best of all, dear friend. Friends, if you have a Jewish-related question, since it is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, phone lines are open, 866-348-7884. That is 866-34-TRUTH. So if you have a Jewish-related question, phone lines are open, or a music-related question, 866-348-7884. Paul you recently did another major project in Israel and Mm -hmm. perhaps some of your best known projects that have really gone around the world and ministered to millions of people have been recorded in Israel, in Jerusalem. What's, what's the significance of this? What, what, what makes it so unique and special when you record something in the land? Well, um, Jerusalem, of course, being the worship center of the universe, um, we would we would record uh, Abraham and Isaac there on the mountain, and then we would remember David establishing that as the city of the king, and uh, and all of the psalms, some of the best songs <laughs> in the scripture have been written there, and then then we have Jesus weeping over the city and and instituting the new covenant there in his body and blood uh, on Golgotha and the resurrection. I mean, this is obviously the city, and then he returns there with his feet landing on the Mount of Olives. Um, This is the center of the universe, and um, where sacrifices uh, were made for many, many years at the temple with animals, and then the Messiah himself at the appointed time. So, um, and this is also the place where Yeshua, Jesus, in Matthew 23 declares, you'll not see me again. Now he's speaking to a Jewish audience in Jerusalem, but but really, technically, he's speaking to the entire world. You'll not see me again until Jerusalem. You declare 
Baruch B'Shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so it makes perfect sense that this would be a place where offerings uh, of worship are um, not only appropriate, but but totally um, acceptable. And and so every time we go, we're, we're certain to make that declaration, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This past uh, Feast of Tabernacles, we took a, an incredible team um, along and joined another incredible team, hand-picked from the land, Arab Christians, uh, Messianic Jews, and, uh, and Christians from nations around the world who have come to add their lives there. And we recorded a brand-new project called Roar from Zion, mm. and the last third of that song is that chant and declaration again, Baruch Abba, B'Shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Mike, we had such a diverse audience. We, we performed, quote-unquote, performed the project three different times. And the first time at the Pavilion, King of Kings Auditorium, uh, Wayne Hillston, our dear friend, pastoring there, an amazing church, uh, congregation in, in the middle of Jerusalem, and there were two rows of Holocaust survivors. Um, there were not yet Jewish believers. And after the first um, quote-unquote concert, we were inundated by not yet believing Jews with tears in their eyes asking, what did I just hear? Some mm. asked for prayer, um, for healing, and uh, it's just... It, you know what I'm talking about. The yeah, satisfaction yeah. level worshiping there is just off the charts. Amazing. And, and you know, you, you have amazing stories, incredible stories as you've been around the world. And I think, I think we can get this one in in three or four minutes. But have you ever had any interesting experiences during a worship concert in maybe a, a Muslim country? Um, yeah, un- <laughs> unbelievably. We've ministered in several different Muslim countries. Um, Dubai, um, we, we were asked to come and, and do a, a concert. As it turned out, it wound up being in the, the national tennis arena with 7,000 people packed, packed out. And I was told that um, the laid Muslim cleric of the city would be there and he would be listening very carefully to lyrics, and I was given a long, li- a laundry list of things I couldn't sing. I went through my songs beforehand, and and tried to uh, tried to rewrite some lines because all of our songs are full of the name of the Lord, Jerusalem, etc., uh, etc. Et and um, as we as we got there. Um, I just felt a release from God. We had a huge group with us, a hundred-voice choir, and uh, my band, my team from the United States. And partway through the first song, I just felt like I had this release from heaven, just sing the songs as they are, mm-hmm. which we did and went through the entire evening. I had a, I had a Muslim bodyguard who showed me that he was armed on the way over to the place. On the way back, he was sobbing as he was driving. 
and asked, he wanted to hear more, 28-year-old Muslim bodyguard, and he wanted to know, he kept us on the sidewalk for another hour, tell me about this Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, we could go on forever, but um, where uh, in the in the Muslim sections of the Philippines, pretty much the same response. Music is such an amazing communicator. The power of music, and I, I don't know if we're going to get into any of what you wrote your your book. By the way, no smoke, and you didn't pay me, but. What an amazing work, and to know that you just did that in a couple weeks uh, sitting down just blows me away. It takes me years to write a book, but the power of Why is it such a, you know, people make the, make the mistake. Music is not worship. Um, we could spend an hour and a half on teaching what really is worship, but in a nutshell, I would say that the music is really a tool that provokes us, uh, can provoke us to worship, as music is the only element I know of in the universe that ministers or affects our whole uh, experience as human beings at the same yeah. time, body, soul, and spirit. Yeah, it's it's absolutely true. And, and by the way, I have written some books in, in just two or three weeks. This, this one, I, I did research, dove in over a period of, of months, and, and I was getting stirred as I wrote. But, yeah, there's a chapter in it about how music affects the brain. And, and we, yeah. there's a chapter in the book about uh, music and, and movie soundtracks and things like that. And it is amazing that suddenly the whole atmosphere can change. So then when you join that with powerful lyrics— when you join mm -hmm. that with the presence of the Spirit, uh, and when mm -hmm. you join that with a heart that loves God, I literally do not know any single tool more powerful than that that, that we just described there. Yeah, because, uh, because God inhabits the praises of His people, which is, you know, Psalm 22, verse 3, which is probably more than any other verse quoted when it comes uh, to praise and worship. But the, you know, people often mistake soft, quiet, uh, the goosebumps, the, the tears on the cheeks with that worship, quote-unquote, worship song that they really love. And really the role of that music, that when it's paired with the Word of God and the presence of God, is to provoke the heart of man to truly worship, which I believe in a nutshell, the word worship in the Hebrew, as you know, shakha, to bow, to put your face in its place, if you will, and to, um, and to adore the Lord. Uh, the, the Greek is proskineo, to kiss towards. But there is another element of worship that we so miss in the West, and, and that, I believe, is the, is the listening ear. You come mm. before a king, you're not there to tell him everything that you know, but you're, you're there to listen, to, to hear what he has to say. And then the, the finishing touch on a worshiper is you come, you bow down, you adore, you listen, and then you stand to obey. So Genesis 22 for me is such a powerful chapter of a great describer of uh, the true worshiper that 
that Jesus says in in John chapter four, the Father is seeking for. Yes, so Abraham, the first the first mention in our English Bibles of of worship, that he's going to go and worship with his son Isaac. You know what that's about. He's going to offer up Isaac. So utter obedience and surrender to God. Hey, Paul, if you'd like to stay over on the other side of the break, I'm going to take some interesting calls. And you're welcome to join in and answering or not answering. So if you can stay past the break, that's awesome. And friends, to get my book, and also we'll send you the audio files for this interview with Paul Wilbur today and the other interviews, three other interviews earlier in the week with songwriters and worship leaders and singers. All that together, the new book, The Power of Music, and the audio interviews from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Go to my website right now, Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDRBrown.org. We'll sign the book with a scripture as well. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Shouts, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous of the Lord. Yeah, I, I want to dance and sing when I hear that. My friend Paul Wilbur leading us in shouts of joy. This is Michael Brown. Welcome to our thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. Paul, thanks for staying on with us today. I want to get to some calls, and if you want to weigh in with a comment, great, uh, but don't feel pressured to. One quick question, though. You've mm-hmm. ministered in music thousands of times, some sung some songs countless times. Uh, is it boring? Is it like a drag? <laughs> You've got to get up and do it again, next week do it again. <laughs> Uh, no, and it's all because of that one little P word, presence. Mm. Um, you know, people, one of my, one of our friends, uh, Joel Chernoff likes to kind of make fun of, hey, Paul, you know, I can hear you singing Days of Elijah with no teeth when you're 94 years old, and then he'll try and, you know, it just, it doesn't matter to me, um, because God's word has a promise on it that it doesn't return void. And I sing exclusively his words, and I know it ha- every time it's fresh in the hearts of those who have come to hear or to worship and uh, to watch him do his thing is a great joy for me. I don't care what the song, how old, as long as it's got the mark of his presence on it, um, I'm, I'm doing it again in any language. Mm. And I've been in many meetings with you, Paul, and they're, they're some of the most sacred times of worship I've experienced over the years. All right, well, let's, uh, let's take some calls. We'll start in Granger, Iowa. Monty, are you? No, doesn't sound like Monty's there. Uh, Rachel, you can check when you get a chance if that was just feedback or if we've lost him. Uh, we'll go over to Jonathan in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Okay, um, I see that you got your show, and it's called Jewish Thursdays. You know that kind of uh, rounds me up a little bit because I'm a I'm a uh, what they call an African American, and I believe the people in Israel are imposters. They're not the real Jews, and that Negroes are actually the real Jews. 
Ah, so the, does does it bother you that that's not according to facts and according to history, sir? That that's a myth. Does that bother you at all? No, no, not 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 really. That it's just that I, I understand that there's people in power that that uphold a system. You know what I'm saying? That really can't be penetrated in that sense. But I I have biblical. No, I'm, proof. I'm just talking about facts. Uh, I'm talking about facts and history, sir. Uh, uh, oh, I don't, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm oh, just talking okay. about facts, facts and history. Facts of history. Yeah, doesn't it bother you that what you said is false historically? That the Jewish people in Israel can trace their lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and that although there are certainly black skinned people and white skinned people who have become part of the larger nation of Israel, they were Middle Eastern people. So Israelites were not originally Negro and they were not originally white. So I'm just asking if it bothers you that you're saying things that are not factually true. That's all. No, no, because no, I, I disagree because they, they actually were Negro. And what I'm saying is I have the proof of that. And uh-huh. I also have the proof of the people in Israel. I have biblical, geographical, and scientific proof in Jewish uh-huh. literature that speaks on those people being converts, being converted. You know, I, ah. I have the, the different doctors who've done the DNA test for uh, these people. Oh, so I have so the Jewish start. encyclopedias. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so since, since this is my field of expertise, sir, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you've done research. So let's talk about those who trace themselves back to Aaron the priest, who have the priestly DNA. It's been uniquely found to, to go back to, to individuals uh, at the time of Moses and there, and it's Jewish people. It's not. It's sadly, it's not Negroes or blacks, but it's those who identify as Jewish people today who can trace their DNA back to Aaron. And there is zero DNA support for the Khazar theory that today's Jews are converts from this group in Turkey, wherever else they would have been, Armenia, etc. So there's zero support for that as far as DNA. So I'm all for it. Let's argue DNA. Okay. Sir. Well. What, what, what the support is this doctor in 2001, Aurelia Oppenheim, she was a, a biologist uh, from Hebrew University. She tested those Jews, and the test results was 95% of those Jews, you know, that claimed this, that they are, you know, these people of God from the Bible are converts and, and come from the bloodline of what's called Khazaria. No, 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 that, so, that has been refuted a thousand times over, sir. All the top DNA specialists in the world have rebuked that. It is, it is linguistically not true. It is geographically not true. It is historically not true. It is scientifically not true. This is a myth, sir. Can I ask you a question, Jonathan? Do you know how many myths there are about blacks, how many evil, ugly things people have believed about blacks and Africans over the centuries? You know, ugly things, foul things. Many Americans have... All right, the same thing about the Jews, sir. We get lied about that. Why do you think Hitler tried to wipe us out? Six million of us. It's not because we were some converts from somewhere else. It's because he knew who we were, Jews. So I, oh, all so I want to go is by, is by facts. Yeah, all I want to go is by facts. I've had my DNA tested. I'm, I'm thoroughly Jewish. It's verified, you know, and, and uh, we can trace things back, you know, and, and ult- ultimately goes, goes all the way back to Israel. So why, why make it an issue of skin color, sir? Because Jesus wasn't oh, okay. black and Jesus wasn't white. Okay, this, this is the reason why. For, for, I don't, I'm not sure if you understand this or not, but for 
uh, the people who are considered to be African Americans in America, most most of those people uh, throughout throughout the oppression of slavery and uh, being pushed into the worst neighborhoods, what's now called the ghettos, um, grew up hopeless and not not uh, being told that they were less and inferior to whites and every everything of the world. It's terrible. Be- Absolutely terrible. Black being made to be inferior. So you have yeah. you have all these you have all these people feeling hopeless, feeling like there is no God, God doesn't love them, you know, et cetera. But then every picture that they ever see of who God, the creator, or his son is, they're always white, blonde hair, blue yes, eyes. Sir. Every movie, every T V show, every color and book, every picture. Yep. Oh, oh, okay, and so and, and the point that I'm bringing that up is that because when when someone sees that you know from a child all the way up to a grown age and they're still seeing it there's a message that's being conveyed with that they're saying there's someone who has some type of authority and control to to put these these images on media and to put it on books someone has the authority and the control to do that so the people who's doing that are trying to convey a message by doing that okay and so yeah so Jonathan let, let me just let me let me just jump in I've I've talked about this as well. I'm sympathetic to it. I, I've said several times already that that Jesus wasn't black or or white, and that of course it's wrong to convey him as as some Caucasian European, etc. But what I want to point out, sir, is this: that you can go back into the Middle Ages. All right, so go back into Europe, and they would paint pictures of Jesus and make him totally non-Jewish, and they would make the Jews to look these evil beings, and they weren't black, by the way. They'd make them into these evil beings, and Jesus was somebody separate from them. So that's the real issue. And what we need to do is white, black, red, yellow, is to come together and say we all need God, we all fall short, we all need a Savior. And if Jesus was a black man or a white man or a Chinese man or a Native American man or Hispanic man, whoever he was, Indian man, I'd bow down before him in worship because of who he is, not because of the color of his skin. So can we at least— I agree. Uh, we, we can agree on that. All right, good. Can, can I send you a free copy of a book, and then you can look at it, and we can talk again in the future? It, could I do that? I, 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 I never really got, like, you know, my, my first point about Ar- Ariella— you you didn't give me like I would love for you to give me the the people who debunked her. You said that that was debunked and that oh, was like yeah, a myth. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure thing. I've I've written on Kazar. So, so tell you what, Jonathan, um, if you will just give Rachel or a call screener, if you'll just give her uh, a contact place email or something like that, I'll have okay. some articles sent to you that'll directly touch on that. All right. So if you give her that, okay. we won't put you on any email list or anything like that. Cause I know you're, you're taking this seriously and you've studied and things like that. Uh, so if, if you do that, I'm going to put you on hold, just give her that and uh, she'll send it to us and just say, this was Jonathan from green Bay. And we'll get you some things to look at that refute the Hazar theory. But I, I agree with you and the utter abhorrence of the way blacks were treated in our history. I agree with this whole thing of making Jesus into the preeminent white man to keep the black man out is abhorrent and ugly. I, I repudiate that with you. But when you start off saying, you know, Jews in Israel are imposters, obviously, with all we've suffered and, and all that's come against us being Jews, I'll take exception to that. But stay right there. Rachel will talk with you. Uh, Paul, any any uh, thoughts on the, on that call? Hmm. Um. <laughs> you're, you're the expert. I, I just... I just came from West Africa, 
and and I found I find people all over the world, Mike, and and I know you do too. Whether it's China or Africa, um, who have uh, so related to the Jewishness of the gospel and and the scriptures that they try in some fashion to uh, become Jews or become more Jewish. And and we are in such a time, Mike, where the the place of the nations, um, the the gift of God to the nations of being who they are um, and provoking Israel to jealousy in in their worship, in in their expressions, um, is just so far above something else of refuting the Jewishness of the Jews and the place of the Jew that I'm I'm finding a time where the nations are beginning to wake up to the to the gift of God of being in the nations. I think of Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof when he looks up in the sky pushing his broken down wheelbarrow down down a dirt road and he says, If this is being if this is, is being chosen, couldn't you have chosen somebody else? Exactly. Um, exactly. What a what a great statement. Yeah, and it is interesting, Paul, that that as Jewish roots of the faith are recovered, it's bringing in people from around the world who connect well there. By the way, over on YouTube, Stacy uh, telling me I'm European or English German lineage. No, uh, actually, actually not. By the way, there's obviously been intermarriage over the centuries, and people in different cultures have converted and married in. They've married in to the stock of Israel. So, of course, it's intermarriage. That's why you have Jews looking something like Chinese, black, white, different. Sure, that's part of it. Marriage in, that's happened. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. That is my dear friend, Messianic Jewish worship artist Paul Wilbur singing leading us before the Lord, his website, Paul Wilbur, that's B-U-R, paulwilbur.com. If you have a Jewish-related question or music-related question, 866-34-TRUTH. Hey, Paul, let's uh, let's take some music-related calls as well, okay? That's yeah, great. All right, uh, we go to Yuma, Arizona. Jesus, welcome to the Line of Fire. Oh, Dr. Brown, um, thank you for, um, and also thank you, uh, Mr. Wilbur, for all your guys' work, and I thank all you guys, I, I thank God for everything you've done, you know, as a former atheist that, you know, lost his faith in, in the university, and, you know, yeah, having read your work and different worldviews, um, and, you know, William, like Craig, and all those guys, I really appreciate everything God has done, and, you know, being saved at a Pentecostal church myself, and a so-so thing. Um, well, yeah, I had a question about, uh, you know, the tabernacle of David and the tabernacle of Moses, because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm studying at my church uh, about, um, you know, worship and being the worship, mm-hmm. uh, being part of the worship team. And 
And um, and I don't know. I don't know. I just want to verify this with you about the Tabernacle of David because sure. we're reading about how um, the Tabernacle of David uh, was associated a lot with, you know, music. Like, for example, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but that that in the, during the Tabernacle of Moses, it was more ceremonial and customs and laws, and the Tabernacle of David had more, and I guess the Tabernacle of Moses only had one psalm, I believe. I forgot which psalm it was, but, and then uh, the Tabernacle of David, you know, it was more expression, more um, psalm. You know, t- and tell you more, what, Jesus, let me, uh, yeah. let me get Paul to, to weigh in. Of course, we know that there were similar things done in the tabernacle under Moses and under David, because God had ordained them with sacrifices and things like that. And Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses. It doesn't mean it would have been sung or chanted back then in the tabernacle. But Paul, what can you tell us about the place of, of music, music and worship, musical instruments, uh, songwriters, singers in the tabernacle that, that, that uh, David oversaw? Hmm. Well, uh, we know that uh, prophecy speaks about reestablishing the tabernacle of David that was broken down, and that the those those uh, structures. um, I'm sorry, is it Jesus? Yes, Jesus. Yep. Is okay, Jesus. Those those structures that God ordains. were to be made very specifically out of specific materials, specific dimensions, um, used for specific purposes, I believe because they are a representation of uh, a heavenly reality. Um, the, the tabernacle with Moses um, establishing statehood, a nation, uh, who is God? Uh, remember, we're, we're dealing with millions of people who were locked away in in Egypt, serving uh, other peoples and making bricks and building cities, and having no revelation, no teacher, nothing to say. Who is God to stand against Pharaoh and all of his? So, so the tabernacle of Moses is uh, is the is the establishment of a nation, a place of authority, a place of God's presence in reality, not just spoken of, but but a real perceivable presence of God, establishing almost like a, a Supreme Court, a place where real business is done in the Spirit with very few. And the tabernacle of David now is the the reestablishing of a nation of people based on a presence and a personal relationship. So I, I think the, the initial characterization that you set forth, and Dr. Brown can certainly uh, jump in, I, I think is, you know, overall pretty accurate. The, the tabernacle of Moses um, being a place that we already uh, spoke about and the tabernacle of David um, bringing in the the personhood along with the worship of the song, the instrumentals, the the singing. Um, David prescribed for singers and choirs for the temple before he left the planet and funded it so that there would be 
not only the ominous uh, presence of a place that's called the place of God, the house of God, um, but also the personality and the, the fathering that comes with a personal relationship. So, you know, as far as the number of singers and players and what kind of instruments and how many with David, I, I don't have any uh, understanding on that, but I, I think that's a pretty accurate uh, description of the two separate yeah. tabernacles. And for sure, once you start looking at numbers, I don't have them in the top, off the top of my head either, but once you start looking at the numbers and looking at, at, at uh, how many singers are listed and the instruments he made, it's telling you, yeah, that, that music and that presence was incredibly important uh, to King David. And, and Paul, I appreciate you giving us the bigger picture there and, and that context. Hey, let's, let's grab this call from Germany. Hannah, you are on the line of fire. Time is short, so dive right in. Okay. Hi. So thank you for taking my call and your ministry, your broadcast. I love it. Um, I just wanted to know, um, or just hear from you, what would you say is worshiping, worshiping in spirit and truth? Yeah, so Paul, how would you, in a nutshell, we only got like three minutes, how do you mm-hmm. worship God in spirit and in truth? Thank you, Hannah. Thank you. Um, spirit, you know, I've looked in these things, John chapter 4, several times. Spirit, basically the reflection of God in the earth, and truth that what is what you see is what is what it is. So it's the worship of God in spirit and in truth is receiving his breath, which of course is a gift from him, and returning it to him as worship and praise in the, from the depths of our being, and that it's also linked to the truth of what and who you are. It's, it's, much, it's much more different. It, Yeshua, Jesus said to that Samaritan woman at the well, this is what the Father is seeking. And um, so it's not just every pew that you come across. It's not every worship leader. It's not every quote-unquote worshiper. But there's a depth of the connection between heart and soul, true and false, and spirit and life that with, without, you know, trying to be too nebulous or not be able to put a hook on it, um, I think is, is where... Uh, I would come down on those two. Although, if you take some time and check that scripture in John chapter 4 and and go with the Greek understanding of spirit and in truth, you'll you'll get a bigger uh, definition on both, but I think that's pretty much where they come down. Got it. So, and and just to, to add in this thought, Hannah, there's obviously theological truth we can have but it must be connected in a living way to faith, in a living way to to God. And we can talk about the Spirit's presence and anointing, but if it's not truth-based, it can just be some type of vague encounter. So as as I think, reflect as well on worshiping in spirit and in truth, especially in the context there of John 4 with the Samaritan woman, it's not necessarily a location. It's not based on ethnicity or cultural background. It's based on encountering God based on, on who he is. And out of that encounter, life changes. But, but the thing that's so interesting, Hannah, 
is that God is seeking people like that. He's he's looking for worshipers. So thank you, Hannah, for the call. And, and Paul, uh, you know, some people think it's odd, and we've just got a minute and a half. Some people think it's odd that God seeks worshipers as if it was egotistical of him to do that. But when we worship, it changes us, and it brings us into a revelation of who he is. Nothing could be more important than that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Mike, I, I say to people, remember, God is building a family. He's, he's looking for sons and daughters who will believe him and will help him to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He's not looking for the best singers. He's not looking for the, the kicking guitar players. He's looking for the worshipers who will bow to adore, hear him, stand and obey. It, the music is a provoker, but it is not worship. And and this is what God, he's looking for those Abrahams and Isaac who built an altar, raise a knife, and are willing to go all the way. Unless unless it's worth our lives, it's not worth our attention. Mm. Yeah, you're getting some amens as I look out on our social media feeds. Amens to the words you just spoke. Friends, if you're one of the few human beings on the planet that's not been touched by Paul's music, go to Paul Wilbur. That's B-U-R, paulwilbur.com. And to get today's interview, along with the interviews from Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, and my book, signed copy, The Power of Music, go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, and order today. Paul, can't wait to see you again and worship together with you. Thanks for joining us today. Always a joy. All right. Back with you with your questions tomorrow. You've got questions. We've got answers on tomorrow's broadcast.